Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and today we have an incredible episode with my good friend, Om Gandhi. Now, to paint a picture of how inspirational Om is, I wanted to share something and announce something that he actually inspired me to do through his own efforts and what we talked about in this podcast. So this whole episode, really, and what Om is all about is really about doing endurance events for something bigger than yourself. And after just meeting Ohm and seeing what he did, raising over $2,500 for an incredible organization in his last race, it inspired me to do the same. So I am currently training for my first 100-mile race in Zion, Utah, so the Zion 100, uh, coming up April 9th. And along the way, I wanted to raise money for an organization that helps kids and families who don't necessarily choose to go through the suffering that they're going through, right? Because if we think about an ultra endurance race and the suffering that we go in there, uh, we're choosing to do that, right? We're signing up for the race. We're paying money. We're showing up. We're actively out there, you know, wanting to, to chase that belt buckle or anything like that, but that's a choice. But when it comes to things like cancer or life-threatening diseases, those things aren't chosen, especially when it comes to young kids who are just starting out their lives and the families that have to experience their young child going through such an awful disease. So I partnered with an organization called the Cancer Response Team. Now this amazing organization was founded by Stephen Moore after his young daughter Ashley was diagnosed with cancer and unfortunately lost her life due to cancer. And if you want to know the whole story about it, which you can tell I just get choked up every time I, I think about it, I encourage you to read about Ashley's story. But long story short, Stephen set up this foundation to keep... Ashley's uh, spirit and memory and inspiration going on to help other children who are going through the battle of cancer. And so Stefan's organization and his entire amazing team helps these families and the children get access to alternative treatments such as IV treatment, nutritional counseling, chiropractic care, uh, oncology massages, all of these things that typically aren't covered by insurance expenses. And if you're in the United States, you know how ridiculous our healthcare system is with costs. These things can really add up. And when it comes to helping out these children who are going through such an awful thing like cancer, any little bit with these treatments, especially with how powerful they are, is a huge, huge help. And Stefan helps to really give these children these cares at a cost that they can afford. So what I'm going to be doing is 
Throughout my training for the Zion 100, I will be raising $5,000 for the cancer response team to help more children who are undergoing cancer and their families who are really doing whatever they can to help take care of their child throughout this time. So if you are interested in donating, head to the link in my bio at Joe Corsione on Instagram, and you can go ahead and donate right through there, right in the app. And if you're not in a place to donate right now, no worries at all. If you could just share this message or share the post that I'm uh, going to post that's going to announce this effort, that would be much appreciated. And if you can donate, any amount would be appreciated. $1, $5, $20, anything uh, would be super appreciated. And we can go together to help those children who are going through unimaginable suffering uh, by having to deal with cancer and giving them the help that they need. So uh, I'm so grateful to be partnering with CRT. Thank you so much to the team uh, for letting me be an advocate for the amazing things that they're doing. And it's going to be a real honor along the way. And thank you, Ohm, for inspiring me to find a cause that I can get behind and be super passionate about and help to do this as well because you inspired me to take this mission. So again, if you'd like to uh, to donate, please head to my Instagram page at Joe Corsione. Go right to my bio. You can donate in there. But if not, no worries. At least a share would be much appreciated. Now, we're going to dive right into the episode with Ohm Gandhi. I will be talking more about CRT here and there on the podcast, but for now, we get to chat with my friend, Om Gandhi, who inspired this whole thing. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks so much for listening. We have a very, very special episode for you today, my friends. So to give you some context, uh, I actually met today's guest at the Era Vipa Across the Years Running Festival um, a few weeks ago from when this was recorded. And for those who are familiar with Across the Years, it's a seven or eight day festival, somewhere around there. But basically... Runners will sign up for multiple events spanning 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, even seven days of straight running, and even a last man standing event. Um, all happens over this course of seven days. And today's guest recently participated in that race in the 72-hour race event um, where he clocked just about 170 miles in that 72-hour span, which is super, super impressive. And I had the privilege and the honor of uh, not only meeting him when he was out there, but supporting him and cheering him on and getting to speak with him and talk with him. And uh, it was just his story and his message inspired me so much that I invited him on the show. Um, our guest today is also on the Merrill Trail team. So he is a sponsored athlete by Merrill. Um, so you know that this guy is all about the trails and has a lot of good stuff to share about it, not just from a training perspective, but just from a lifestyle perspective and a mindset perspective, and honestly, an inspirational perspective as he is also the star of the ultra running documentary for the kids, which you can find on YouTube and which I will be linking into the show notes if you're interested in watching it, which highly recommend you do after the show. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest to the show, my brother, Om Gandhi. Om, welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, my friend. It's it's so good to be here, man. Huge honor, Joe. And like I said, it feels like it's been forever since that race. And it's just so good to see you again, brother. Yeah, so good to see you again too, man. And uh, I love how during the race, we just totally hit it off. I think in the documentary too, is like a conversation between you and I, where it was just, we were flowing and, and sharing just all these 
nuggets of wisdom, I would say. And I connected with you so deeply that uh, I knew that having you on the show here would, you know, not only help other people become better ultra runners, but ultimately better people. And because uh, you're an amazing human being and kind of just going around all of that, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the Om Gandhi story, how you got to where you are today, because I think it is so impressive of where you came from uh, to to be at this place now where you're able to run 170 miles in one go. Uh, so what is that story? And, and give us a little bit of background on how you got there. Okay, so I think the place I usually like to start is that just about three, four years ago, the most I could run was like a quarter of a mile. Like I was working a job that was 60, 80 hours long. I was burning myself out. I was in a dead end with relationships, with financial issues, and things were just not great in life. Um, and there was one point at my job where things actually just culminated into um, a panic attack episode. And that was one of the moments where I just decided that I needed to find an outlet. I was overweight again. It's Weight fluctuations have been a thing throughout my entire life. I come from a family that is um, historically diabetic. I was obese for the first 18 years of my life. I've always been a sedentary person. Um, so I just decided that enough was enough. And um, I went out there and just decided to see how much I could run. And it was um, exhilarating, but also disappointing because I went maybe like a quarter of a mile and I started feeling nauseated. And then I was about to give up and then I decided, okay, I'm just gonna try to add on a little bit each time. I started setting small, small goals. Let's uh, like, like, let's say for example, doing like running 30 minutes straight. That was a big thing for me at the time. And then running my first 5K, my first 10K, and I think it was just one thing after another, like it was just like a snowball effect. Um, and then I watched uh, REI's How to Run a 100. That was the first documentary I watched. And at the time I thought, man, these people are like superhumans, like demigods, like running a hundred miles and I'm here going to run like 30 minutes straight. Um, but I was so inspired by it. Um, it didn't happen right away, but the pandemic canceled my first marathon. And I decided that since I had already started doing some through hiking, that I would jump onto the trails. And I went and committed to my first 50K. But for some reason, there was a gut feeling in my mind that said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and commit to my first 100 mile or when the most I've ever ran is like 15 miles. Um, that was in July. And the race was uh, last year, April of 2021. Um, but yeah, it was just this massive snowball effect. Um, but yeah, that's sort of where it's gone. It's just been a snowball effect. I love that, man. I think it's just so cool to like, first of all, that's such a short amount of time to go from like three to four years to be able to run 170 miles. I mean, that is just nuts. And to see that jump to go from 15 miles or so to, to then going right into the ultra distance is super huge. So um, 
I definitely want to talk about like, what are the things that you learned to help you get there? But like from a mindset perspective, what about the hundred mile distance totally shifted your perspective, not just on your running and uh, your athletics, but overall your life that made you inspired, right? Because I think the hundred mile is a special distance in that regards. And I'm wondering what it meant to you to, to make that journey and dive headfirst into it. Um, I think for me, it was sort of having this kind of like this feeling my whole life that I would never amount to anything. Having this feeling my whole life that like um, that was something that I could never do because I was a sedentary, unathletic person. Um, it was never meant for me. Uh, every single distance I did, people were always saying like, you can't do that. Like, don't do that. Um, and I think it just uh, kind of put this ember in my belly that just sort of like grew over time. And I stopped ignoring it and sort of just started feeding it. And I decided I got all this energy and I just realized that really like, it's this scary big thing. Um, but at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that could happen? I fail. I go after it again. And the hundred miler just seemed like at the time, like a big lofty, like hard to reach goal, like impossible. Like we're talking, somebody's only done 15 miles and is going to go out there and basically run more than 24 hours. Um, so for me to just commit to that, that's always the type of person I've been even before all these goals is that I will commit to something huge and then I'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> so it's always sort of like, okay, I signed up for the 100 miler, then panic mode, like, how am I going to do this? You know, then it's like, okay, I'm going to sign up for my first 50k, then I'm going to prepare this training plan. Um, but the path is always unclear. And I think for me, it was just going into that unknown. I think my perspective um, shifted in the sense that like, I stopped going after goals that were like, within reach. Um but also goals, but I started going more after goals that were like edging into that unknown area, doing things that were away from like what other people were saying, like what their limitations were. I love that, man. And, and I think that's so, so powerful. Uh, I think that's uh, something that people should write down, right? Is go for goals that see seem really far away or unattainable or ones that people are going to naysay you about, right? Because in the end of the day, those are the ones that lead to the massive change. And I think you're a testament to that. You know, like you said before, going from this place of mental darkness and obesity and struggle and into this person where you're able to go out and crush these ultra marathons. And I think the goal setting had such a big uh, approach to it is what it sounds like, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the not just the goal setting, but like starting to set those goals that like, tether me more into that unknown and it's continuing to stay like that it's happening more and more which is why I did that 72 hour race um it's and I think once you've done it once you sort of realize that like I think you subconsciously realize that it's not even just getting that buckle or achieving that goal it's sort of like going through that journey and realizing that you are a different person at the end of it and you've just evolved into something else like even with the documentary I've watched it a couple of times now. And I'm, this is the first, it hit me because it was the first time I was actually able to see me evolve in real time. Mm. Uh, 
And I feel like every race still does that for me, um, especially distances um, at the 100 and past the 100, mostly because like you're just edging into this area where even some of the greatest athletes, we've seen them fail at that level. Um, and basically there's just no guarantee that you're going to be able to do it, but that's, but it was once beautifully said that, um, there's what, there's no adventure if you know what the outcome is. I love that. I love that so much. Like sometimes you're right. The best memories, the best growth, the best opportunities come into the unknown. Right. And if we know exactly what the path is, it's usually boring and it's usually something that's unfulfilling. But to your point, when you're able to dive into the unknown head first and continue to set big challenges that you don't even know you're going to hit, that's where that growth happens, man. And so like for you, as you're diving into this hundred mile race, like I would love to hear a little bit more about Zion 100, cause that was your first 100 miler. And, uh, tell me a little bit more about that, how you dive into it, how that race went and how you, how it prepped you for success in the future. So for the Zion 100, after I watched the REI video, um, that race, I'd been thinking about it for almost a year, but it was sort of just like, no, 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 not yet. Like you're going to do this first. You're going to do that first. It was sort of just listening to other people's frameworks. Like you're going to do 50 K first, 50 mile or first, um, maybe a hundred K and then go into a hundred mile. Um, but it was just some feeling that gravitated me towards that distance. I think it was because I think if I were to put it into words, it was because when I watched REI's how to run a 100, I watched it during a really tough time in my life. Mm-hmm. So seeing the words 100 on the paper, a paper which I printed out and I put on my mirror until April, it kind of recreated that feeling um, that I got from watching the film. And I was sort of inserting myself into that reality um, as my own. Um, So I think for me, like, that's how I dived into it. And then it was just sort of setting goals around it. I did my first 50K in September of 2020 it was the Zion 50K. Mm. Then after that, I honestly did not have like, I just Googled like training plans and I was just going out and doing long runs of 20 miles. And I, when I started, I knew nothing about nutrition. I was getting all kinds of blisters on my feet. Um, I made all the mistakes. Um, I tried all kinds of gear. Um, February came and I did my second 50K and I happened the universe happened to deliver me, uh, my coach, uh, um, my trail mom, <laughs> amazing, amazing woman named Heather Cashpole. Uh, we ran, we ran the entire 50 K together. Uh, wow. we both PR'd. Um, and I asked her about halfway through the race. It was almost like our conversation, like within 10 minutes, like we were brothers and within 15 miles, I was like, I want you to be my coach. Oh, I have two months until this race, because this is February now, and I need you to get me through these last training blocks and figure out where I stand and what I need to do. And that's exactly what she did. And I could not have done it without her guidance. Mm, I love that so much. So do you suggest like most people do get a coach like in ultra running or is it, was it just something that was specific to you? Because it's a question that I often get a lot. I mean, personally, I work with a coach. I work with Zach Bitter um, for my first hundred mile attempt coming up, but curious to hear your perspective on it. Um, and are you still working with the coach, you know, as you're going through your endurance efforts and kind of what's your stance on it for someone who's wondering if they should find one for themselves? 
I think uh, for me personally, it definitely did help me to have her as a coach, mostly because I liked her approach. Um, the feeling was just right. Uh, it was my first 100. And during the pandemic, you're not really going out and socializing with people. So I knew absolutely nobody in the trail community. Mm -hmm. This was before I met Hector and the Wolf Pack. Um, so I didn't know anybody at the time. Um, so for me to be introduced to somebody in the trail community to sort of like bounce ideas off of that really helped. And I like her, she has a very hands-off approach, um, sets the plans for me and sets goals for me and sort of lets me bounce ideas off her. At this point, I think it's more of like a friendship bond that we have. Like I will tell her what my goals are, but, um, she's sort of more hands-off and she'll just kind of give me her knowledge and her two cents from her 12 years of experience. Hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. It, it, it's so much uh, less painful, I should say, uh, to learn from someone who has made this mistakes already. Cause even like you said before, when you first started out on your own, you were looking things up and trying things out and uh, you know, hitting some snags in some areas, but it sounds like when you got the coach, it started to accelerate that learning. Cause you did eventually finish Zion 100, which is amazing down the road you crossed the finish line and it was super super awesome and then you just went on a tear after that just signing up for all these other crazy races eventually at across the years right i did but i should definitely go on a record and say that even though it did accelerate my learning i feel like my learning well first off we never stop learning right we're students mm -hmm. of the universe like we're learning every single day um but what the wheels fell off at every single race. And I think that was what made me successful at across the years where of course the wheels also fell off at that race. That's how, you know, you're going far enough. But, um, I, uh, I think at every single race, Zion Valley of fire, um, pacing Hector, at the triple crown, there was always like one little thing that got targeted. Um, so I think even though it did accelerate my learning and it helped me out tremendously and probably helped me cross the finish line because I did cross with only a few minutes to spare. Uh, I was the DFL person dead fucking last is what thought in the ultra community. <laughs> and I'm and this, super proud of it. And this was Zion, right? This was Zion. Yeah, I finished DFL. Um, that's a whole nother thing. But um, I've done all kinds of crazy things. Like I've had a bloody blister. Like at Valley of Fire, I ran 50 miles with the ripped toenail. Um, I just like, I had uh, a swollen ankle that swollen like one and a half times its size. Oh. Uh, I couldn't hold down any nutrition at one of my races. And that's when I decided to go plant-based. So it's like a progression of like making these mistakes and learning from them for me. Um, and sometimes I think even if somebody tells you like, this is not right, you don't like, um, you shouldn't make these mistakes or you shouldn't do this. Uh, sometimes you're just going to figure out on your own. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to make you that much mentally tougher. Mm, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Because when you say that, I think of the times where, at least for me growing up or other people, right. When your parents who maybe tell you to do something or someone to figure, right. They give you this advice and you don't listen to it. But yeah. They, yeah. It's sort of like you that. Get bit in the <laughs> end, right. And you're like, now I know. And they're like, I told you so the entire time, but it took going through that pain personally 
to really understand, right? And I think it it's a good lesson to show that sometimes pain is the best teacher, as you you know know in these races. Yeah, and like that. It brings up this quote for me too that is um, that pertains to that. It's um, take the wisdom, but not the experience, mm. uh, which basically means like like you know like take the advice from people, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to have your own experience because it'll add to your own mental toughness, your own, I guess, your own legacy, your own like path. And that's another thing is that like all those experiences are the reason why I was able to have such a good race at across the years. I think I just made a post. I made a whole thought blurb about that on Instagram um, just because I was thinking about that. Like I made particular set of mistakes at all those races and all of those mistakes culminated in me learning things on the fly at those races that made me successful at across the years. I love that so much. That is just golden right there. And you're using all the mistakes to culminate into this incredible accomplishment that you had at across the years. And so I definitely want to talk about the race a little more and dive deeper into that and the story around it, but going into across the years, what are some key mistakes that you learned personally that you uh, would share to other people uh, who are getting into the space? Maybe it is running a 72 mile race or a hundred mile race. What were some of those mistakes that really helped you to succeed going into across the years from your past endurance races? So it was drilled into my head early that your nutrition is everything. And I, and don't try anything new on race day. And sometimes there were situations at endurance races where I either was just really stupid or I was really craving something. Um, and I would just try something flat out different. So definitely do not try anything new on race day. Um, at the Zion 100, I, became known as quesadilla man because i was stuffing quesadillas into my best um to like make the deadline but i put myself in a situation where i'm lactose intolerant but quesadillas are the only food i can eat so it was like i have to but this is bad for my stomach i have to eat but this is bad for my stomach and it was like that for the last 30 miles um and i realized that nanny goat doing the same strategy that I was shutting myself down because all the dairy was coming right back out. Um, and that's when I switched to being plant-based. Um, the other thing that I learned after making numerous mistakes on my feet is that foot care is so important. Like you just need to figure out like what kind of um, chafing cream you're going to use. For me, it's trail toes. I tried nut butter. Nut butter is amazing, but I, trail toes really clicked with me. Um, it was, it's also certain like 1% thing that you learn each time, like taping in a certain way or taping a certain toe or, um, using a certain spray or like using changing socks more often, that kind of thing. Um, but I would say those are two most important things that I would emphasize for doing distances this long is nutrition and foot care. Those are the two biggest things. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I feel like those are some of the most painful things. Right. And I think more painful than any like muscle pain that you're getting or tiredness, like there's something about running a blister that's just the worst. And there's something about a 
cramped stomach that's even worse right and to be able to get that dialed in i think is so cool and it's it's interesting that you you go into the plant-based uh plant-based argument too because i would love to dive into that too but before we do you know you have i want to definitely talk about across the years because i think that it's just a such a cool thing so we'll table the plant-based stuff for now um but across the years, so 72 hours, you're running this race, but you're not just running it for the accomplishment. You are running it for something bigger. Tell us a little bit about that, why you did the race, what you did it for, and the impact that you've had with it internally and for the reason that you were going for. So for me, um, I always run races, um, First and foremost, uh, it is always for a higher purpose for me. I've always maintained that I can't do these races at the level that I do them if I'm not doing it for some higher purpose to better society or to inspire someone. Um, that's something that Justin True was able to really put into good words. He's saying that when he mentioned himself at his race, that when he ran out of motivation, inside he started thinking about all the people that are watching him and all the people he is inspired by so in a way it's kind of a selfish endeavor because i'm able to attach this cause to myself work for these kids and when my own personal motivation to test my own limits waned i thought about ridstone family which was the organization i was working with um i started working with ridstone back in college um i was part of a sustainability organization in the civil engineering program and they're a local organization in the inner city in LA, and they work with kids and families in uh, child abuse. But what makes them different from other organizations is they're small, their feet are on the ground, and they adopt the entire family unit. Um, and that was the thing that stood out to me is that they're not just trying to give the kid a safe space and take them away from their families and separate siblings. Um, they're trying to tell the parents like hey you have your own generational trauma uh what you're also doing is wrong and we need to fix that as a group we need to strengthen ourselves together and for as many years as I've known them that cause has always resonated with me and I looked up and I realized I'm now an endurance athlete and I have this platform to go back to them and I revisited them and they remembered me um, they're like, oh, we know you, like you, you know, played all these games with our kids, like you played soccer and like, um, you helped us install rainwater catchment system and did gardening with the kids and like beach trips and all that stuff, uh, mentorships, uh, most of those kids, um, that I work with now, it's amazing. They're, some of them are in college now. Some of them are like preteens, but to see that the same staff was there, that was kind of my driving decision um, to keep working with Ridstone. And I decided to make them the fixture for this race. And I was originally gonna do the 48 hour race. And I talked to uh, Andrew Garb, who's uh, another one of my dear friends who did 200 miles, amazing at that race. He's is, he is an absolute monster, I love him. Um, <laughs> But he told me, why not go for 72? And I looked at myself and I thought for a minute, and I said, okay, why not? <laughs> Interesting. So you originally signed up for 48 and then God was like, go for 72. And you were like, I'm just going to send it like back to that same, like, were you feeling that same kind of like anxiety? Like that you were feeling like before, like, like how, like, were you feeling those things? Or were you just like, yeah, like sure. 72 hours, like explain to me kind of like the thought process there. 
I was, I was feeling, I think what made me sign up for it was I was feeling that anxiety because, you know, your first 100, um, you don't know if you're going to finish there as you, when you do your second one, you sort of, you've learned things and you realize you sort of get to this place where you're like, I know my nutrition. I know my foot care. I might not have the fastest time in the room, but I'm still going to make it before the cutoff. Um, with the 72 hour race, I looked up at that and I said, I've never done a multi-day race before. Like I'm a zombie by the time the next day comes up at a hundred mile race. Um, and I'm asking myself to do multiple nights, um, of running. And is this something I can do? And I think I stopped myself right there. Like I asked the moment I ask, is this something that I can actually do? Like, can I actually do this? That's when I actually sign up for the race because I realized that I think there's this intuition where you're just sort of seeking that you you're seeking the unknown and you're realizing that that's where the growth is, uh, that, and I think I was looking for something big too. I realized that to really get people behind this cause, um, I think my, my mantra is that like, uh, people can spare a few dollars or spare to share a post or spare to help out if they see the big thing that the person behind the cause is doing. Like, I'm just, they're looking at, they're looking at me and they're thinking this, this must be legit. Cause this guy is a maniac running one mile loops for 72 hours. <laughs> and I mean, it turns out that thanks to the help of my amazing friends in the wolf pack, um, I was able to you know, make it happen. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and yes, you heard him right. Everybody, when he was saying what the across the years race is, it's literally a one mile loop that <laughs> they, that he ran on for 72 hours straight for 170 miles. Like that is bananas. Like, first of all, um, but I don't want to discount something special that you said uh, in that last answer. And that there's two things, really. The first thing is you said, I signed up because I was feeling the anxiety. Do you know how freaking powerful that is? What you just said there? It is like, that is amazing <laughs> because so many people will say, I didn't sign up because I was anxious or I didn't do that thing because I was anxious. But instead you were like, I felt that anxiety. So I did it. Like you leaned into it. And you were able to accomplish, you know, not only the race, but able to, you know, raise over $2,500 for this amazing foundation too. The second thing is too, is, you know, you, you thought about the people who are looking at you, the people who you are helping throughout this race to help you get through that finish line. So walk me through how you utilize that higher power in the middle of a race to help you get through. And maybe, you know, even so like uh, to, to couple into this kind of walk me through the across the years experience and maybe how that uh, higher purpose played out over the course of those three days. Cause I'm sure people would love to see, and I know there's a documentary out there and people can tune in for sure. Um, but walk me through, you know, those three days and how that higher purpose played a role in it. So what I've noticed, not just from my own race, but from watching Hector do his triple crown um, from watching other wolves do higher endurance challenges of over 200 miles. And for me now, finally doing a race over 100 miles, um, I've noticed that the longer you get into these races, the more highs and lows you're going to have. One thing that I definitely want to be clear about is that when they say that it gets better, they don't mean the pain gets better. The pain is a fixture that always stays. It's always going to be there. It's the I feel like the people who can mentally see in the game are the ones who tell themselves long before the race that you are going to be in the worst pain of your life. 
Um, it gets better in the sense that you're, you're, you go through your highs and lows, you feel gratitude, all kinds of emotions. Um, and for me, I felt like it was weird. I felt like my usual 100 mile lows. I feel my first one usually around mile 40 when like it starts to hit me what I'm doing. Um, I feel my, I felt my next one at this race, probably at like mile 60. And then after that, it was like mile 96 when my knee locked up. Um, that was, that was bad to me. That was frustrating. Cause I looked up and I said, like, I'm at the, I'm only at the day two it's not even night two and my knees all locked up and so i had brandon work on it um brandon stutzman uh videographer uh physical therapist unofficially extraordinaire <laughs> <laughs> he learned he picked up some things from hector's friend caesar who knows some things um, about loosening up your legs and stuff and he worked on my knee and it was probably one of the worst pains in my entire life didn't make the pain any less, but it increased my range of mobility. So it's moments like that where I start to ask myself, why, why am I doing this? Um, and to test your personal limits is an answer that does not, is not strong enough at that point. Um, for me personally, uh, for some people it might be, uh, but at that point I realized that I'm still have so much more to go in this race. And for me at that moment in my darkest place to test my personal limits wasn't enough. And that's when I started to hone back into my cause and what I was doing. And I remembered those kids and I remembered how they had gone through, well, some things that I've experienced myself, um, but some of them have been through so much worse. And I thought to myself, I'm just a maniac running loops. I chose the suffering. Those kids, they didn't choose that suffering. The parents, they didn't choose to share that generational trauma. It's wired into their brains. Um, the kids, they didn't choose to be a part of that. It's just that suffering is, they didn't choose it. Um, but I chose this and I have the power to make the choice to keep going for them. And I kept telling myself that over and over again, that I have the choice to run right now. I have the choice to do this at the end of 72 hours. It's going to be done. The results are going to be done. The pain is eventually going to be over, but whatever I do, whatever choices I make, they're going to stick with me forever. And there are more than just my friends watching. So many people are watching and somebody's getting inspired. Somebody is um, those kids are watching and I kept thinking about that. Damn, dude, that was powerful when, especially when you said like, you know, you're, you're choosing the suffering. Right. And a lot of people like, don't get me wrong. Like ultra endurance races are hard, but anyone who signs up for them is choosing to do it. Right. <laughs> Whereas people who are in these terrible situations, they're not choosing it. And usually it's something that's you know, unwarranted, unjustified, something that's anything like that. And to, to remove yourself from the suffering in the moment and to think about those who are suffering unwillingly, I think is super powerful. And I loved how even you even said, like, you know, the, the pain for the race is temporary, but the impacts from your actions will last forever. And I mean, hell, it's going to be immortalized in this documentary. Like this thing's going to be out there forever. Right. And yeah. that's going to be inspiring people. And I think it's, 
by hearing you removing yourself from the pain in the moment and to reflect on the lasting impact that it's going to have way beyond the race, I think is a skill that anyone can master to go through. And I think you're an incredible example of that. Tell me, you know, when you're, when your knee is locking up and even in those moments when, like you said before, your toes were shredded up and uh, you've, you've got these like just terrible you know, little injuries that would basically knock most people out of the game, you kept going. Are you telling yourself that higher power in those moments? Like, are those the things that keep you going? Like, how do you like ever, like, I, I'm, I'm curious what that conversation is in your head. Cause I feel like those are the pivotal moments, especially with that knee, like being in there, like, is it, are you just constantly reminding yourself of those things or is there, is there something else that keeps you going? It's, it's definitely, I think it's a balance of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Every single big race that I've done up to this point, I've always supported a cause. At my Zion 100, I supported a local organization that was delivering hot meals to the homeless uh, during the pandemic and families that were impacted by the pandemic. And we were able to raise money for 1,500 meals. Wow, incredible. I kept thinking about that. I kept telling myself, like, I'm just out here. Again, similar thing. I'm just out here suffering on my toes, making this choice. Um, being able to eat whatever I want. And there's people out there in the cold um, who don't have the food or the roof under their head and don't even have the ability to experience something like this. And I want to help them. And then sometimes it's not even that, like it'll go back to my personal limits again. It'll go back to um, honestly, to some dark places. You go to some dark places during these races. And sometimes that it's not all the time, but sometimes that emotion will come out of like anger or spite, you know, like this is like thinking about all the people that have looked down on you your whole life and thinking to yourself, like, look at me now, you know, this is the most I've ever done. Um, and just telling myself like you're a machine, like you're a savage, you know, um, it's just there. The power of words is just amazing. The power of like a mantra or something. I've heard it from the veterans all the time. The one I hear the most is relentless forward progress and lean into it were the two that I heard. Mine was, um, mine at my last race was, um, I chose this. Um, and the race before that, it was, I'm a machine. And I just kept telling myself that. And I think it's, I think your why is very fluid for every single race. Like your charity might change. Um, you look at your the perspective of your path might change as you evolve as a person um your mantra might change um that's kind of the puzzle of these long races is that you have to keep figuring out the puzzle of your mind to keep doing these races so good dang that's a quote that i just wanted to immortalize on this podcast you figure (laughs) out the puzzle of your mind as you go through the races it's so true like you get to meet yourself in suffering And I love that concept of being fluid with your why, with your mantras, with your thought process, even like what you're going through your mental toolbox in the moment, right? Like you said, sometimes it's that dark energy. Sometimes it's, hey, what are my limits to? Sometimes it's, hey, like this is the cause I'm going for. I think it's so cool that you have like this multifaceted approach to get over those barriers in your mind as opposed to just, you know, a one thing, right? Because I think you're right. Like in some moments, testing your limits or finding out what your limits are, isn't going to help. It's going to be that higher purpose. It's going to be that dark energy. It's going to be those things and testing around Um, when you're going into a race, right? um, How do you, how do you decide what those things are? Is it more like 
And, and what I mean by that is like, how do you decide the cause that you want to support in the race and kind of the, the mantra, like your toolkit going into advance of what you're going to use to fuel yourself? Like, is it something that you do like before you sign up? Is it like a month before? Um, and the reason why I ask is because if there's anyone listening who wants to start running for a cause or wants to start developing their toolkit, um, what is it like from the, from the master who does it so well and has helped so many people through it? What does that process look like for you? Um, I think that process for me, like, like my wife is very fluid. Um, for the Zion 100, I didn't have a cause lined up until maybe a few months before the race. Mm. Uh, for Valley of Fire 100, I decided to sign up for that race uh, for the sole purpose of joining my brothers in battle, Brandon and Dom, and um, to support Justin's true triathlon cause, Justin True. Uh, for mental health awareness. That was a big one for me. Uh, for this one, I think it's very, I think it's come to me very naturally, which cause I want to choose. Um, I know a lot of people struggle with choosing a charity because they're always worried about like the red tape or like where their do dollars are going. For me, I've been very fortunate to work with small local organizations. So I've seen them actually do the work and I've seen them put their blood, sweat and tears on the ground. And I've seen that dollar go for a dollar instead of just going to like administration or something like that. Um, so for me, it's always, I always choose a cause with my heart and with my gut instinct, uh, because for me, that is the only way you can choose a cause. If you just, if you decide to go into these races and just decide, I'm just going to throw money into Red Cross or something like that without actually doing your research, it, when that why hits, you're not going to be invested in it. Um, for me, because I knew these kids at Ridstone, because I knew the people who prepared the hot meals in the kitchen, and I've seen some of those homeless people, and because I knew all that, I had those mental imprints in my mind that helped me work out the puzzle each time. Um, so it's definitely just a matter of like making calls to your small local organizations. Um, those are my favorite ones because those are the ones that are just um, their, their purpose is to serve and they're not bogged down by multiple branches or red tape or anything like that. So, um, if I were to tell anyone to start anywhere, it's look at your small, small local causes and charities. I love that. And I love how you mentioned that you want to find something that resonates with you on a gut level and especially something that you've seen or something that's close to you, right? Like you said, you saw the boots on the ground, you saw these people working, like you saw the struggles and like for Justin True, like you brought up, like, you know, he's gone through just crazy, uh, you know, uh, this journey, um, where he's dealt with mental health issues. And so he's so close to it and that he can, he can fight for it and he resonates with it. And that's what he does to inspire him. And I think that's, it's so much more powerful than just picking like a red cross or a UNICEF or one of these like blanket foundations that you quite frankly, you know, don't have too much, you know, emotional stake in the game. Right. Uh, which I think is super powerful. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. hundred percent. So like, what do you have like next for you? Right. Because you just had 72 hours, but, uh, your, your race schedule ahead is 
quite frankly, so <laughs> impressive. Like, I mean, I was looking at it and my legs were hurting just looking at it, but t- tell us a little bit about some of your highlights for next year. And uh, do you have like an inkling of what causes you're going to support and what's just kind of like, what's your focus going into next year? Um, my focus Every my sole focus going into next year is testing my personal limits, continuing to work with different charities. Um, in this case, I might continue my work with Richstone for a mm-hmm. little longer, uh, and maybe keep working with them throughout the year in various races. Uh, since the partnership has been amazing, um, and their battle, and just because we raised a certain amount of money, the battle's not over. Um, but I would say my biggest highlights, um, I'm starting off the year with an amazing uh, race at the Jackpot Ultra Running Festival. I said I would get away from loop flat races, and I think that'll be the last one. <laughs> but all my uh, good friends are going to be out there from the Wolfpack, uh, 15, 20 of us. That's going to be amazing. Uh, I've got three back-to-back back to back to back 100 three and three months um and then i have a stage race in peru called the jungle ultra um that's going to be a different kind of experience kind of like a marathon de sable is like carry your own gear carry your own calories kind of adventure race uh first time for me so we'll see how that goes uh i'm i'm Everything I'm doing this year, as far as like volume and everything, is preparation for the Triple Crown of 200s attempt in 2023. Uh, I'm actually signed up for the Moab lottery, so I'm waiting to see if I get into Moab in uh, this fall in October. Um, other than that, I have some things in store as far as like Wolfpack challenges, uh, such as an elevation challenge that I have planned. Uh, one that a few people in the Wolfpack have called me nasty for. <laughs> <laughs> what is the challenge? Um, they it's So the challenge is I'm thinking about doing anywhere from, depending on what my schedule is, because my schedule is very fluid, um, mm. uh, anywhere from 24 to 72 hours of hill repeats um, and just a goal to get as much elevation <laughs> as possible for a charitable cause. <laughs> Jeez, that is nuts. You're right. Uh, add me to the list of people who think you're uh, nuts for that. But uh, man, that's freaking impressive. Well, I have no doubt you're going to crush those races and everything you set your mind to. I mean, not just because, you know, you're you're a great athlete, but most of all, you're a great person and you're so giving and kind and, uh, you know, the world's a better place because you're in it and because you're racing for it. And I know that I promised that we table this and it seems like very tangential and off the point of higher purpose and everything, but I'm curious on the, uh, plant-based diet. So you're the first person on this podcast so far, who's going to be talking about a plant-based diet. I told you we're going to have Mike McKnight on, uh, in a couple of days who obviously he takes a radically different approach. Um, but I fall into the camp of, you know, you got to find what works for you. And I'm so glad that you have found something that works for you with the, uh, plant-based lifestyle. So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned you switch because you were getting those stomach issues, how has that impacted your, um, your racing and kind of what's your primary, you know, uh, food source that you're eating during the races on this lifestyle? So for me personally, um, I grew up a vegetarian. My family's mm-hmm. been vegetarian for a few generations, uh, which basically just means like, uh, no meat, mm-hmm. uh, still meant dairy. Um, 
And that's pretty much what my life was like up for the first 25 years. And I started growing lactose intolerance uh, when I was about 25, 26. And then I started doing these races and I realized that there's no way I was going to be able to get through these races if I'm expulging everything that I'm putting in. Um, so I just decided to go plant-based as sort of a test just to see what would happen. And it ended up being wildly successful. Uh, a big staple food for me during these races is potatoes. If any race, mm. if there's any food that, um, if no other food works for me, it's always going to be potatoes for me. That's like my go-to food. Um, and that was just something that stuck with me. And, um, I, I've seen all kinds of other, I did it primarily for racing, um, not for any other moral or ethical reason. Um, and I, but I have seen other results from it. Uh, biggest ones being like, my recovery has been faster. That's the hugest one. I think mm. going plant-based has just reduced my inflammation as a whole. Um, I ended up losing a lot more fat and actually surprisingly ended up being able to put on lean muscle a little bit better. Nice. Uh, and just my sleep has been overall better during races. And, um, it's like a, a lot of 1% things have changed for me and I can't, say that it's entirely based on going plant-based, but I felt like my GI issues were absolutely close to none at the 72 hour race. And that was one of the biggest successes for me as somebody who dealt with them constantly at my last two 100s. Wow. No stomach issues for 72 hours is freaking impressive. And especially because a lot of people think that those are inevitable during those big races, right? Um, but damn, 72 hours and no GI problems all off a plant-based diet and potatoes. And I have to just ask just because I'm curious to know, like for potatoes, is it like the instant potatoes, like the mashed potatoes, or is it like a actual, like full potato, like that you have in your drop bags? Like, I'm, I'm curious, like what, cause like, I'm, I'm curious to try. I love potatoes, but it's, it's for me, it's just like boiled, like salted potatoes. I love those. It, it's actually three staple foods. Um, potatoes is all the time. And then it's uh, this vegan protein pancake mix. That's mm -hmm. amazing. And then I've started, I started at these last few races to get more inventive with old dishes with vegan spins on them, like vegan cheese quesadillas and uh, with potatoes in them and like uh, vegan burritos. And so far, everything is stuck. Um, and it's been great. Mm, it makes sense too, because it's potatoes, natural ingredient. It's just a potato. It's just potatoes and salt, which is like great. Whereas like, you know, you have a lot of these other nutritional products out there. That's just a million different ingredients. Half you can't even pronounce and, or even just so much sugar, man. And like, I feel like yeah. sugar just sits in the stomach and it just feels like a freaking lead ball that, oh, just like you said before, like expulges, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I deviated away from, uh, I used to use quiff gels and like um, quiff bars and all those things all the time. And I deviated away from those. And I even deviated away from, I didn't drink soda to begin with, but it was kind of a boost during the race. I deviated away from like most processed sugars because they were upsetting my stomach later in the race. They, I could get away with it during a 50K, but I could not get away with it during a hundred power. And then I realized that it was two main things for me. It was the dairy and it was the processed sugars. 
those two things were upsetting my stomach. Um, that and eating too much sweet and eating too much savory. So having a balance of like both eating something salty and then eating something sweet. Mm. That had a lot. Um, and that was, that was based, that was super huge for me because nutrition is one of the two big things for these races. Mm, I love that, man. That's like a good point too to switch between savory and sweet. Cause sometimes when you just have too much sweet, you're like, Oh God, I can't do this anymore. Or it's yeah. too savory. You're like, Hey, I just need like a little, little, like something that doesn't taste as bland and everything like that. So I think it's awesome, dude. And let me tell you, I'm actually intrigued to try out the potato strategy. So, uh, I might be hopping on the potato train with you. I will keep you posted for sure because, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, anyways, uh, great. Oh, do you like boil them? Like just the night before chop them up, put them in a bag and, and you're good to go. Like, is that Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's how it works for me. <laughs> Simple enough. Well, I know what I'm doing for my next long run for sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> anyways, um, I know we, uh, we, we deviated on a tangent there for our last thing, but I, I knew that there was probably some listeners be like, Hey, you talk about the plant-based nutrition you never did. So I wanted to <laughs> want to sneak that in there, but uh, before I ask my last question, Om, where can our listeners follow you and uh, learn more about your journey and follow along for the ride? Because, you know, everyone here, as you can tell, Om is such a great person. He's a caring person. He does Thank so you. much for the, of course, man, he does so much for the communities around him. And I highly suggest that you go follow him in his endeavors and everything he's doing. Um, I will obviously link the documentary uh, in the show notes, um, all the parts as they do come up. Um, so definitely check out the show notes to watch the documentary. But besides that, where can our listeners find you if they want to get into your world and follow along with you? Uh, biggest place to find me is Instagram. I have an account um, that is at the Om Gandhi. That's my first name and my last name, A-U-M, last name G-A-N-D-H-I. Uh, so that's where I post like all my stories. That's where I make all my posts and I hope to inspire people and have my biggest impact. I love it, man. And you are having a huge impact. I mean, at the very least, I know you've impacted me. You're inspiring. Like it's just to see you do that race in person was, uh, quite frankly, just so emotional and inspiring, man. And I'm sure I'm going to need the Kleenex when I watch this documentary, when it releases tonight. <laughs> so, uh, I can't wait for that, man. And for my last question here to the audience, what would be your number one tip for our listeners to be a better endurance athlete every day? If I could sum it up in one sentence, it's just one phrase. It's just show up every day. Um, just be, do the 1% thing every day. Um, even if it's five minutes, all of that, all of those results are going to compound over time. Um, it's like when you plant something in your garden, you're not going to see a linear progression where it's like coming out like this. It's, it's going to take a while to see the benefits of what you sowed. Um, and you just have to be patient and just keep going. Some days you're not going to see results. Some days you are just be consistent and just show up every single day and just put in the work and the results will follow. Consistency is definitely, I think, the biggest key to heading towards greatness. I love that, man. And you're the definition of that. I mean, even days after completing this race, uh, I see your Instagram stories of you putting up weights on the bench press and, and, and getting on the bike and spinning out to miles, man. So if there's someone who lives it, it's you, man. And, uh, I can't wait to see you live it even more over the next years. And Hey, we're even going to be racing together at Zion yeah, hundred next I'm year so and, and Javelina, man. It's going to be so fun. I'm so stoked for that. And I'm so looking forward to it and having many more adventures with you. hell. Yeah, man. It's going to be super awesome. 
All right, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know you did because Ohm is such a great guy and super inspiring. Uh, follow him, reach out to him, spread his message. I promise you won't regret it. And most of all, thank you so much for listening to this awesome person's story here today and everything that he has to say. And we will see you on the next episode of Everyday Ultra. Take care, everyone.